Well, Donna and I both have spent more than the last three decades in ministry. I've been with the Indiana Assemblies of God for over 20 years, and I've poured into pastors for years. That's been my role in my job, just helping them be healthy and effective in the harvest. I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I was raised in a pastor's home, and I served in the ministry with my husband for several years before we became missionaries with Convoy of Hope Europe. It was there that I also served as the children's pastor at International Christian Center in Brussels, Belgium. Later, my husband and I transitioned to the U.S. State Department Foreign Service, where we served in South Africa and in Nigeria. Six years ago, before Donna and I even knew one another, our lives were forever changed through separate tragedies. That for me, after over 33 years of marriage and loving one another, raising a family and constantly serving together in ministry and in life, my wife Joyce went to bed on a Friday night. She had a headache and the next morning, I couldn't wake her up. And several hours later, as the day progressed, my daughters and I stood in the hallway of a critical care unit. And we made the decision to disconnect her from life support and I will never forget that moment. I will never forget that room. That we prayed and we trusted God, but within minutes, Joyce was in the presence of Jesus. We simply could not believe what had happened. I came back home late that evening to just an empty and devastated world. While I was living in Lagos, Nigeria, Dave and I went with a group of people. It was a beautiful day to a small island near Lagos. Life in the city was crowded and it could be really difficult, so we were so looking forward to a day away from all of the chaos. Dave and I made our way down to the beach and I got in and waited only knee deep, but the water was rough and an unexpected wave hit me and pulled me into a series of three riptides I couldn't get out. Dave came for me and he bought me a little bit of time, but he then became caught himself. If it wasn't for a trained sailor and a Marine who happened to be on the beach with us that day, I would have died. They came to me first and rescued me and then they went in for Dave, but it took too long and it was too late. And my daughter and I sat on the beach and we watched him, we prayed, and we watched him die and it was over. 30 years of marriage were just ended in a moment's time. And a few weeks later, I went back to that very spot and I scattered and I sowed Dave's ashes in the water and in the soil of Africa. For Donna and I, after we faced the tragedies in our lives, our journeys were similar. The questioning and the confusion, the shattered remnants of a life that was just blown up and scattered. Nearly two years after those events, we met and God put us together. And the trajectory of our grief did not just instantly change in that moment. The, the pain didn't immediately go away, but we were healing. We got married and we faced challenges of merging two lives and two families and all of the pain and the hurt that still needed to be healed. The things that had happened to us were beyond our understanding, but God, He lovingly led us through all the pain and the anger and confusion and He gradually brought us to a place of deep trust and faith. We could have never connected all of those dots on our own, but God has taken 
what he's sown into both of our lives. He called us, asked us to leave a secure future and influential ministry and to invest our future in Africa. That which has happened to us has really served to advance the gospel of Christ. Thank you. He is the way maker. He is the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. And we are so grateful. I got to tell you, that little girl that you saw us with is not my baby. I just want to get that out there right away. Um, when when Dave, David was showing his daughters a picture of me after we first met, he, it was a picture of, of Eloise and me. And she's like, oh, Dad, she's got a baby. He's like, no, it's her granddaughter. I'm only two years younger than David is. So just clear that one up right away. <laughs> we are so, so very grateful. I have to tell you, though, that it was a struggle for me. The pictures that you saw of me scattering my husband's ashes, I did that because to get a body back from Nigeria is very complicated and expensive. That was about one month after my husband had passed away, and I walked away from the beach that day very confused about what I believed about prayer and things like that. And as God began to deal with me and speak to my heart as he does, he says, Donna, you act like you have no hope. And he began to take me a journey of learning to hope again and to trust again that all the stuff that I had known all my life, he was going to show me who he was again. And even when I didn't feel it, he was working. And even when I didn't see it, he was working. He never, never stopped working. And he didn't give up on me because, see, I was really confused. But God didn't give up on me. And I want to share something with you that I've only done this once before. Because as God began drawing me to himself and began speaking to me, there was, a, there was a day that I cried out to him. And I said, God, if you're paying attention, I need to know. I need to know you're paying attention to me. And i got to say this, and you'll understand why. I was not praying for a husband, okay? I was praying that I would have purpose in my life again and that things would make sense again, that what had happened to me would make sense again. And I cried out to him. I did. And I want to read you something that I wrote April 18th of 2014. I wrote in Psalm 18. I write in my Bible all the time. I love you, O Lord, my strength. This is what I read. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And I go on to read, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. That's how I felt. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And in the margin, I wrote, I met David Delp today. God knew what he had for me and what had happened to me. He had a plan and he had a purpose, even though I didn't completely understand it. When I began to let go of the stuff I didn't understand and I gave it to God, he said, all right, Donna, now let me show you what I can do. He never stops working. He is faithful. He never stops paying attention. If you're in the middle of something right now, God wants to speak to you today. She's a better preacher than I am, but she still lets me, she still lets me go. I want to tell you, it is a joy and a privilege to be here, and I know every speaker says that that's what you're supposed to say, but this is, this is an honor for me because you're 
Your pastor has been a friend of mine for a long time, back to the days when we served in district ministry in two different places. But I want you folks to know that through the years, your pastor's told me about this church, he's told me about you, and every single time, he always tells me how much he loves you. And so I, I was thinking that I would see all these incredibly special people who were incredibly worthy of love. And as we spent some time with some of you yesterday and as we're in this service today, I, I can see it. And I am thankful for the hearts of, of your pastors toward this church and the deep love that they have for you. But I'm thankful for what God is doing in this place and for bringing this group of people together in this time in history to make a difference in this region of Michigan, but to, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm thankful to God. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, sometimes... I hear people disparage our fellowship, and it always makes me just a little angry because they're talking about my family, and I, I told Joyce, I, that is the second time I've done that in like five years, and the other time was that, wow, where did that come from? I just, I do not know where that came from. I'm God. I'm God. Um, I told Donna, the one that I have now. <laughs> I mean, what do you do, you know? I've never, I have never had this happen before. Okay, I just got to help my, my husband out here. See, my first husband's name was David. David. See. I do not know when she messes up. See, there's no way to know. I asked Donna, I said, does it bother you that my name is, is David? And she said, well, you want to know something even crazier? Uh, my middle name is Eugene. I don't tell people that much because I'm not fond of it. But that was also her husband's middle name. So the story just gets crazier and crazier. But anyway, I told Donna the other day, uh, you know, it is amazing to me how that God works through the very average but yet wonderful churches that we have in this fellowship to impact planet Earth. That's a God thing, folks. I mean, that people like us get to participate in God's plan. I mean, you walk into this place this morning and look around. You folks are pretty sharp people. You're great people. But to look around and say, we can have an impact on planet Earth, that's a little bit of a stretch. But yet, God has called us to participate in His mission, and we are so excited to worship with you today. But as Don and I tell our story, and I'm frankly, I'm tired of telling our story. I don't like to keep telling our story. I've thought, okay, when can we stop telling this story? And I think maybe our next itineration but you see, we are first-term missionaries to Africa, and we always have to take just a little bit of time to explain how is it that it happened that two people who are pushing 60, one of them a little closer to it than the other, are going for the first time as missionaries to the, to the continent of Africa. God has rearranged and He's just moved everything around in our lives, but we couldn't be more excited for what God is doing 
in our lives, but we tell our story because we realize everyone has a story. Everyone in this room has a story, and God is working through every one of your stories. Now, sometimes I feel just a little bit a little bit sheepish about telling our story because I am aware that some people have a story that's a whole lot worse than ours. And I am always a little bit afraid that someone's going to say, well, why are they telling that story? That's no big deal. This is what I've been through. And then I know that there are some people that think, wow, I've never been through anything that was that traumatic, and I don't know how this relates to me, but I want you to know this is not a competition, folks. This is not who has the worst story, because we have the story that is being written in our lives, and I want you to know, Don and I want you to know that God is working through and in your story, whatever that story is. That what God has done in your life, that God will take the good things that He's done in your life, and He will bring purpose and beauty and joy into your lives, and God will also take the bad things and the hard things and the hurtful things, and He will bring joy and purpose and goodness into your life through those things as well. Amen? Anyone experience that? And it is from this, this place and this position that I want to share a verse of Scripture with you out of the book of Philippians chapter 1 and read verses 12 through 14. Now, before I read those verses of Scripture, I want you to know that the context of this passage is Apostle Paul is in prison. And he is in prison for the purpose, for the cause of, do you remember why? Preaching the gospel of Christ. If I ever go to prison, I think that I would rather maybe that it would be for something bad that I'd done rather than something good that I'd done. And I can only imagine all of the emotion that goes into just simply doing the thing that you know is the right thing to do and yet being persecuted for it and being in prison. This prison was a terrible, smelly, dirty place and Paul was going to be executed unless God intervened. This is his situation. And yet, out of this situation and out of this prison cell, he writes the words of the book of Philippians. And when we come to verse 12, I want to read this in that context, that it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In, I believe it is the New International Version, it says it very simply, but there's a couple of words that are a little bit different. And as this one says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And that version uses the words, and as a result, as a result. And so those three elements of this passage I want to anchor in, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me that's the first thing. The things that have happened in our lives 
has really served to advance the gospel. In other words, God returns beauty for the ashes of our lives, and then that as a result, so that, as a result, and the things that have happened in our lives will return beauty for the ashes, and there will be a result for the things that have happened. Now, this passage of Scripture um, means a lot to me because when I was walking through the grief process, which my life just being turned upside down, I'm walking through the grief process, and some of you have been through that, you know that it is common that I didn't want things to get quiet. I always wanted people around, I always wanted noise, because when it got quiet, I started thinking about what had happened to me, and I didn't like that. So when I, when I went to bed at night, I turned on a sound machine, my devotional life took a turn that the times that I was praying would be the times that I would be walking along or in a crowded room. I didn't do my quiet devotional time anymore because I didn't want to think. And so when the new year of 2013 rolled around, I thought, you know, I've got to get back into my devotions, and I've got to get back into the pattern of listening to the heart of God. So I went in, I sat down in the chair in my study like I did, and I said, I just prayed. I said, Lord, I was reading in the book of Luke when all of this happened, and I just want you to tell me where do I need to read. Give me your guidance and your direction as to where I need to pick up on this journey and get back into the Word. And I felt that God was leading me to the book of Philippians. And I got to say that in that, um, I, I began to become suspicious because I've taught from the book of Philippians many times. And one of the themes of the book of Philippians is, do you know what it is? It's joy. I thought, I'm not feeling very joyful, and I don't want to talk about joy, and I don't want to be happy. I want to stay in my pain because somehow that feels right and feels better. So I was suspicious, but I prayed, and I really felt it was the direction of the Lord, so I thought, okay, I'm going to work through Philippians. And when I came down to verse 12, reading, sitting in that state, I read those words. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, I never saw those words before, never saw them before. That which has happened to me, something I didn't choose, something I didn't want, something that just happened has really served to advance the gospel. I started to get angry. And folks, let me tell you that God's shoulders are big enough to bear our anger. Did you know that? That when you are walking through something that is incredibly painful, I want you to know that anger is a human response, and I want you to know that you can tell God about it. And I told him about it that day. I pointed my finger at the ceiling in my study and I shook it and I said, God, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to take something that's bad and make something good out of it and I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for this to be something good. Have you ever felt that way? This is a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's never going to be a good thing, so stop. And the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to my heart, and he said, David, until you take yourself out of the center of this situation and you put Jesus into the center of this situation, you're not going to get better. Being a man who's preached the gospel for 35 years at that point or so, I very articulately said, 
but I don't want to put Jesus in the center of this. I, I literally prayed this. I said, God, I'm still hurting. Can I not be in the center of this thing for just a little? Can't this just be about me for a little while longer? By this time, tears were running down my face. And the Lord spoke to me and just said, you're not going to get any better as long as you keep yourself in the center of this and you make this about you. And that day I said, okay, Lord, I trust you enough. I'm going to make this about you. I'm going to make this about Jesus. I'm going to put him in the center and I'm going to let you work. And tears just ran down my face. But folks, there are things that have happened in every one of your lives, things that you didn't choose and I want you to know that those things which have happened to you, that if we'll give them to God, that He is able to do an incredible work in and through our lives because of it. And I also want you to know that God has put things in your hands that are also good things. They're blessings. The finances and the resources and the skills and the gifts that God has given you, those are things that have also Maybe not happened in your life, but you've acquired along the way, and God has blessed you with those things. And we have got to look at our lives and the things that have happened in our lives, both the difficult things and the blessings of God. You see, God is able to work through those things. I borrowed your pastor's shepherd staff. <laughs> These things are great. Because I have been encouraged by Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, Moses is in the wilderness. You all know Moses. And Moses is tending sheep. He's been there for 40 years because he killed an Egyptian. You see, it was God's purpose for Moses' life that he would be the deliverer of the people of Israel, that he would be the guy that would lead the people out of bondage, out of slavery, and into the promise of God. But Moses got angry, he killed an Egyptian, and that day the purposes of God stopped in his life. And there he was 40 years later out in the desert. Because you see, when we make a mistake, or when we do something wrong, or stuff that happens to us that we had nothing to do with, you see, then that just messes up the purpose of God. And the things that God intended for my life can never happen now because I blew it, or because somebody else did something to me, or something happened. I blew it and it's over. And Moses lived with that reality for 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. He had completely given up on the purpose of God and the promise of God for his life. And one day while he is out tending the sheep, he looks up and he sees a bush that's burning, but yet it's not being consumed. God got Moses' attention. And oh, folks, I want you to know that God gets our attention, that when you think it's over, and when you think, look, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. I wanted to find a way to retire. I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't want to preach anymore. I just wanted to quit for the longest time because we did everything together, and the purposes, it was just all blown up, and I didn't care anymore about anything that was going on. But I continued on to follow the Lord. And you see, just like Moses, God got my attention that day, and he continues to be. got Moses' attention. Moses went to see what this burning bush was all about, and as he approached that burning bush, 
He heard a voice that said, Moses, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Moses took off his shoes and he approached. In the presence of God, God began to speak to him out of that bush. And he began to restore the purposes of Moses' life. Look, folks, I feel this so very strongly in this moment. God is restoring some of your purposes. He's restoring your purpose. That the things that he's intended from the beginning, it's not over. Come on, it's not over, folks. And as he stood there, God said, Moses, it's time for you to step into your purpose. It's time for you to to deliver my people from Egypt. Moses, what does he do? He starts listing all the reasons why this can't happen. (laughs) He starts telling God, I can't even put two sentences together. I can't communicate. Believe me, God, I am not your man to do this. And God listens to all of the objections. And many of those are the same objections that I gave God. I can't do this anymore. But what did God ask Moses? God asked Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand? (laughs) Not much. Forgive my emotion. (laughs) Not much. A lot of brokenness, a little bit of skill, but surely it's not very useful. But Moses says a rod. God said, Moses, lay that rod down in front of me. Moses took what was in his hand and he laid it on the ground, cast it on the ground. And that rod turned into a serpent right before his eyes, and began to wriggle around. And Moses' response was, it says it right there in Exodus 4, and Moses ran away. (laughs) That scared him to death. When God starts to work through the things that we have in our hands, the difficult things as well as the blessings, It can scare us a little bit because God's plan is always better than your plan. God's dreams are always bigger than your dreams. And one of the reasons we're going to Africa is God told us to quit our jobs because this was about trust, and that's a long story. But Don and I prayed, how will we know what we're supposed to do next? Because we didn't know what we were supposed to do next. We were trusting God out of the faith that he'd built in us as we'd walk through what had happened to us. And God spoke to our hearts and he said, you will recognize it because it will be exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask, think, or imagine. And when we laid before God what was in our hands and he began to transform it, it scared me to death because it was way bigger than anything that I could ask, think, dream, or imagine. Are you kidding me? But then God said to Moses, Moses, come on back and pick up this serpent by the tail. Now look here, folks, I grew up in southern West Virginia, all right? Some of you have some roots there, no doubt, because your ancestors came up to work in the auto industry like some of mine did. But I learned in Princeton, West Virginia, that one thing you never do is pick up a snake by the tail. If you're going to pick it up, you pick it up right behind its head so that you're in control of the situation because... In the words of a well-known statesman, them snakes is pison. I know better. 
And see, when God asks us to take back into our hands what He has transformed, God always asks us to trust Him and to do it His way. Oh, I want to get in the driver's seat. I want to do it my way, but I got to do it God's way. Moses trusted God, and he reached down, and he got a hold of that snake by the very tip of its tail. And when he started to lift it up, the, oh, I can see him watching the head on that snake. <laughs> you know, as he picked it up off the ground, it straightened out and it turned back into a rod. Moses was dumbfounded. And God showed Moses, this is how we're going to do this. You take what's in your hand and you give it to me and I'll transform it. And then you take it back up the way that I tell you. And that's how we're going to fulfill my purpose in your life. And folks, I want you to know that as we lay before God the things that are in our hands, the difficulties, the things that have hurt really, really bad. For some of you, it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years, 10. Some of you, it was last week, and some of you are walking right now today through this. I know. Some of you are even thinking, you know what, buddy? I don't want to hear this right now because I'm angry, I am skint up, I am beat up, and I don't want to hear this right now. I understand. But I want to bring hope to you that there'll come a day that if you'll hang on to God and you'll trust Him, that He will begin to lead you into a place that is better than any place that you can imagine. And see, again, I know, because when I was in the middle of it, I didn't want better. I just wanted back what I had. Can you identify with that? I didn't want better. I just wanted what I had. But as God redeems those things in our lives, and so that's how a couple of old people... Ended up on our way to Africa. I want to tell you the story of a lady named Tombi. I've changed her name just so that it's not a problem to live stream stuff. But Tombi was from a village in Africa that was inaccessible by automobile. Tombi's legs did not work. She was lame. She had a little daughter. Because of the difficulty of the situation, her husband had left her. And she was left alone in that, in that village with no way to support her daughter. And she desired a better life. Somehow, she would find it in the city. So Tombi went into the city. And in that city, she found work. And she began to build a little bit of a life together for her small family. And one day, she came across one of the churches of our fellowship there in Maputo. She came into the church, and she came to know Christ, and she began to grow in the Lord. She began to be discipled, and then God began to speak to her about His call and His purpose on her life, that that which had happened to her brought her to the city, and she found Jesus, and she began to feel, you know, I feel called to be a missionary, to go back to the village from whence I came. There were 700 people in this village roundabout, and not one of them knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. None of them knew of Jesus. And she decided, I've got to go back, and I've got to tell the people in my village about Jesus. And Tombi went back into that village, and she began to preach. And she wanted to see people come to Jesus oh so badly. And she went to the first house, and she knocked on the door. And that first day back, 
And the door opens, and she begins to tell the person standing at the door about Jesus. And they called her some names, and they slammed the door in her face. She went to the next house and to the next house. Anyone that would stand still long enough to hear, she would begin to speak to them about Jesus. And for a year, for an entire year, not one person would give her the time of day. Not one person would listen to her. Feeling a little discouraged, she just kept on and on. But one day sitting under a tree, resting, some of the children of the village were playing and Tombi began to speak to them and she started telling them Bible stories. She told them the story of Jonah and the whale. She told them the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Then she told them the story of Jesus walking on the water. And the children were enthralled and they said, Miss Tombi, tell us more, tell us more stories. And she said, I'll tell you more stories, but your friends, they will want to hear the stories too. And so the children went and they would gather their friends and the, the crowd would get bigger day by day as she would tell them stories. And it wasn't long after that that the mamas started to wonder, what's the crazy lady telling our kids, right? So the mamas came and they stood at the perimeter and they listened to what was happening. And one by one, their hearts were softened and they were drawn toward this man named Jesus, who was the Son of God. And they began to surrender their lives to Jesus and be transformed in His presence. Soon the dads started coming because they wondered what was going on. And the dads began to accept Jesus. The village was transformed. Nearly the entire 700 people that lived in that village came to Christ. My friend who was a missionary in that area went to meet with them. And we've been able together to build a tabernacle so that they have a place to worship and to dig a well because they were concerned about their water supplies and to make sure they had a pastor who would teach them the Word of God. And there's a church in that village where nearly the whole village is saved now. They've come to Jesus. Now I want you to know, folks, that your town and your neighborhood and the people that live across the street from you and the people that you encounter every day, God cares about them too. But Tombi was willing to say, that which has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel of Christ. And as a result, this entire village will come to Jesus. I want to show you a picture. See, this is a mission service. <laughs> I'll show you a picture of this family from Burkina Faso. You may have heard about their father and the church that they attended. You may have prayed for them. You probably did. On April 28th of 2019, not quite one year ago, there was a tragedy. And you see, this is happening all over West Africa. And it's becoming a common occurrence. But these folks were part of our fellowship. These folks were part of our family. I don't have a really good picture of Pastor Pierre, Pastor Peter, but this is Pastor Pierre's daughter. This is Pastor Pierre's grandchildren. Pastor Pierre's son-in-law. And you see, on April the 28th, there was a culmination. 
because the extremists had been telling Pastor Pierre, who planted this church in 1984, you need to leave this community, you need to stop meeting together, you must stop speaking of Jesus, and you must go away. He said, we will not go away, and we will not stop speaking of Jesus. And it was on April the 28th when those 12 little motorcycles with terrorists on them rolled onto the church property, 12.30 in the afternoon, just as their church service was letting out. They said, you will deny Christ or we will take your lives. This man is in heaven today because he was one. They took Pastor Pierre and five of the men of the church to the side. They said, you will deny Christ or we will take your life today. And one by one they said, no, we're going to follow Jesus. And one by one they were martyred for the faith. The next picture is a group of the people of that church before this happened. Many of these men are, are in the presence of God. And I'm sad to say that this is becoming too common in West Africa. But I look at these, these folks, and I may never meet these folks. I might. But they have impacted the gospel of Christ. And they are our why. Because, you see, we've got to plant a church within walking distance of every person on that continent. You see, Donna and I, our ministry is planting churches in the major gateway cities of Africa because the people are fleeing into the cities. They're migrating into the cities, some for education, some for work, some to try to build a better life. And we want to be there when people like Tombi get there. You prayed for Eritrea this morning. There's a city in Eritrea where we're praying that we'd be able to plant a church. It seems almost impossible, but we serve the God of the impossible. And we've already planted four churches, and we're seeing missionaries raised up in these churches and begin to go back just like Tombi did to unreached people groups. We're seeing it. But these folks are our why. And I want you to know that that which has happened to Apostle Paul, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Yeah, he was executed, but look at how this has changed our understanding of Christ and the Word of God. We're still talking about it. It's true that that which had happened to Apostle Paul, it's still sending the gospel forth. And as a result, so many lives have been changed and transformed. For Tombi, she overcame the difficulties in her life because the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, my friend, are still true that after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, He shall give you power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and to cross your street. That when we think we have nothing to offer or nothing to give, God continually asks us what's in your hand. And sometimes it is the brokenness that tells us that we're done, but yet God transforms it. Sometimes it is the gifts and the abilities that God has given for Pastor Pierre and those in his church. That which has happened to them has encouraged others to preach the gospel with greater boldness, including this guy right here. Hallelujah. And I hope today that you're encouraged to share the gospel of Christ for David and Donna, speaking of myself in third person, which I never do. For David and Donna, that which has happened to us brought us to the place 
where we trusted God enough to do something so crazy that I can't even believe we're doing it. But we trust God. (laughs) We trust God. Folks, trust God. Trust God. So I want to ask you, what's in your hand? It's the stuff that happened so long ago or recently. I said this earlier, but I don't want our story to be what we're about, and I don't want to tell the story anymore. I'm done with that. But that which has happened to us brought us to this place, and it's a unique way that we can minister to people in their pain. And I want to challenge you to let God begin to speak to you about the things that have happened in your life, because those things are a clue as to what God is able to do through you. And then I want you to think about the blessings of God that you hold in the other hand. It's the resources. It's the finances. You know, as it relates to our resources, Don and I give to missions. We were in a church in Durban, South Africa two weeks ago, and they had a missions convention because they want to send missionaries out from their church. And we sat there and we filled out a faith promise card and we turned it in. But it's also the skills that you have. You earned that gray hair. Some of you who are a little older, you earned that gray hair. God put stuff in your life. You've learned some stuff along the way. God wants to engage those things. Not only to transform the world, which he will, but also to bring you into a joy and a fulfillment, a purpose in your life that you've never known before. Oh, Don and I, we talked about this. And we ask ourselves, what would we rather do? Would we rather stay in our good job and keep saving more and more for retirement and maybe do something later? And that would have been fine. Did we want to just stay in our house? We live in the safest, it's verified, we live in the safest city in the United States of America. I like it there. But someday we're going to be old. I mean, really old. And when our strength is gone, we're going to sit on the front porch. And we're going to say, oh, what if we hadn't done this? See, what if we, what if we just kept doing what we were doing? And what if we hadn't done this? And we decided that's what we wanted. We wanted God's future. And oh, it's so wonderful. But I want to pray with you folks. Maybe if you bow your heads and if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, oh, let me tell you, He is worthy. And if you reach out to Him today and call upon Him, He'll meet you exactly where you are and He will love on you. He won't condemn you. He'll accept you. He will. But if we could all, just as we bowed our heads, to hold our hands out in front of us. 
in your left hand on that hand I want you to think about the things that have happened in your life you might not be ready to even accept the healing that God can offer you may still be angry all these years later or it may be recent but if you just begin today by saying God you know what's happened to me and I'll never understand why it did but I'm going to hold this hand open before you and I'm going to ask you to do something beautiful with the ashes that I hold in this hand and give it to God. And then I want you to look at your right hand and think about all the blessings that God's given you, the skills. Some of you know how to make friends. That's a skill. God's given each of you gifts. He's given you resources. He's given you things in this hand that are good things, that are blessings. Lay those down before God as well. Offer them to Him that He might do an incredible thing through those things in your life. And I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for the people of Woodland Church. God, they are world changers. They're doing it And Lord, I pray for your people that as they consider once again that which has happened to them, that as they offer it up to you, that you would bring healing, that you would bring assurance, and that you would build a trust in their lives, that Lord, you are going to lead them through that valley. And Lord, for some of them, they are ready. And Lord, I would pray for them and ask you that you would begin to bring opportunities into their lives where they can see fulfillment coming out of the healing and the work that you've done in their lives. We give those things to you, Lord. They are yours. I pray, Lord, for people who have lost loved ones in this room, some recently, some a while back, but they're still struggling. Lord, heal them. Heal them, Lord, and give them peace and strength and encouragement. But Lord, I pray for the people in this room that the blessings and the skills that you've given them, that they would never see themselves too old to invest the incredible things that you've invested in their lives into the mission of God. And Lord, I believe that right now you're speaking to a couple of people about some things you're calling them to that they gave up on because they thought that they'd blown it or this happened, that happened. But God, you will restore those purposes in their lives as they offer to you the things that you've invested in them. I pray for this church and I pray for the presence of God to be mightily manifested in this house. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Dave, I am so proud of Donna and you, and I hope that doesn't sound condescending in any way. When Dave first told me about his plans, I came home, and I've never told you this. I told Becky, I said, Dave is not Africa. 
And there is, I told you this before you said this, there's a new boldness about you. There's a fresh boldness about you, and I believe God's hand is upon you. But you have no way of knowing this. Sometimes God will send a confirming word. February the 9th, I preached a message in here called Defeating Bitterness. And I've been praying with you because there were so many in the congregation that you expressed that morning that you were struggling with bitterness and hurt, pain, and things that had happened to you. If you haven't listened to that message, go online or go to our app and just look for the series. It's, I think it's at the top of the list right now, Perfect God in an Imperfect World. Becky and I kept looking at each other during this message. But God is speaking to you. And I think this is part of God's blessing, those of you that are struggling. I'd encourage you to go home. Any notes that you made, think about those. Meditate, pray over them this week. Because the Lord has spoken to you through His Word now two times about this issue. In the first service, I read some song, some lyrics from a song that Ben had sent me when he was in college, how God makes beautiful things out of the ashes of our life by a group named Gunger. And you've heard a story about that. And then some of the rest of you in here, you probably have heard or felt a stirring in your life this morning. What are you going to be talking about in a few years when you're sitting on your front porch? What are you going to be dreaming about? What are you going to say you've done with your life? All of us are going to pay a mortgage. All of us are going to raise our children. All of us are going to die and be buried unless Jesus comes first. But when you and your wife or your husband, you're talking on the front porch, what are you going to talk about? How did God... How did you let God use you in these latter years of your life? Over breakfast years ago, Tom Sandham, you told me how, what God did for you with the Holy Spirit in South Africa. That's had a shaping influence on the rest of your life since then. Sometimes one thing will shape your life that God does. And so I want you to be open. I want us as a church to be open to what God wants to do with us. Judy is her name. Just before we moved to Michigan, Judy is, and her family are, or just put it this way, they're rich. They're very rich. Very rich. She called me out. Becky and I were spending the night with them and talked with them and they're very involved in missions. Judy called me out onto the back deck of their mansion. And she says, I know you don't want to do this. She said, but let me tell you, God called me to be a missionary. And I disobeyed God. I'm happy. God's been good to me. I love my husband. I love my children. She said, but all my life, and she said, I sit right here so often, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have taken a step of faith. I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. What would happen if you took a step of faith? 
What happens if you trust God to bring beauty out of the ashes? If God hasn't answered your prayer yet, what would happen if you just, Dave, thank you. What a powerful word. If you got the focus off your problem and got the focus on Jesus, how would the gospel advance in your life and through your life? And how many more people would be touched? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And before we receive the offering, ushers, you can come on down while I'm praying. I want to ask you to let me pray for you. Jesus, just a few weeks ago, so many people in both services lifted their hands and said, I'm struggling with bitterness. Lord, I, obviously, I believe that you have done something in our lives. Some, it was the pain of divorce. Some, it was the pain of financial reversal. Some, it was the pain of a betrayal, of an illness. God, the people I've heard from, there have been so many different real hurts that are just as real to them as Dave and Donna's loss of their first wife and husband was real to them. But I can't help but see your divine hand, invisible hand at work in our lives today. This is not just a mission service. God, you want to heal and make beautiful things out of the ashes of the hurt and the pain. So I ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, breathe life and breathe vision into everyone who's been hurt or disappointed or broken here right now. Would you just wait a moment upon him? And say, Lord, I'm listening. And if the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind, just write it down. God's never going to waste a day of pain in your life. God's going to bring something good. And maybe you don't even want to hear that right now. But I'm reaching out to you. The Lord is reaching out to you right now. I feel compelled in my spirit to say to you, God is going to make this work for good. What happened to you wasn't good. But I'm telling you, he's the way maker. He's the light in the darkness. He's the promise keeper. And Lord, as Psalms 34 says, you are our hiding place. Oh, God, we hide in you, Lord. We take refuge in you, Christ. Restore our song of victory in the shadow of your wings right now. Breathe into us the life of the Holy Spirit and restore in us, Lord, a song even in a midnight hour. 
for the rest of that psalm says that you are our hiding place and you will surround us with songs of victory so come on victory come on victory fill our lives in the name of jesus christ